Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. My guest today uh, is Eric Larson, who's the author of numerous books of nonfiction. I read that all the quotes in all of his books are actual historical quotes, which seems hard to believe because the stories seem hard to believe. I think he's best known for uh, Devil in the White City. And um, uh, I'd like to ask you to tell, tell us a bit, little bit about why you decided to write that particular story about the murderer. Oh, boy. Well, well, it's, it's a long story. And it certainly takes me back because, you know, that came out in 2003. What made me do that book, um, I had been looking for, um, I was in looking for my next book idea. I just finished I finished writing Isaac Storm about a hurricane that destroyed the city of Galveston in 1900. I was looking for my next idea. And I thought about doing a, a book about a murder. And I was, I was actually looking for something worth writing about, a historical murder. Took out the Encyclopedia of Murder, which is the sausage being made. Yeah, I came across the guy who, who uh, um, uh, ultimately appears in this, in this book, Holmes, or Mudgett, which is his real name. I was not interested in writing about him actually because I didn't want to. I didn't want to do crime porn, if you will. He was just so over top bad. So I kept looking. I got sidetracked. I, I I went off to do another book, but I came back to actually. I got the timing. I got the chronology wrong there. Uh, I did go off to do a different book, but I came back then to this idea, and I started thinking. You know, um, maybe this isn't going to work. I, I, I wanted to have a, a, a murder story, something along the lines of, of Gosford Park, you know, the, the film, something with a lot of custom and manner and so forth. But then I was not having any luck, decided just really on the verge of giving it up when I remembered that in reading about the killer homes, I had read about the World's Fair of 1893. So I started thinking, well, maybe there's something in the World's Fair. Um, so I started reading about that. And that's when I realized, wait a minute, that's what this book is about. Yes. The fact that the, the murderer and the fair took place in the same place at, at, at the same time. And a sort, sort of juxtaposition of, of good and evil and darkness and light. So that's how that came about. How long does it take you to write one of these books with all the research? Well, you know, it, 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 it varies a bit, but it, it tends to range from uh, from 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 conception to, to, final, to final draft, that is the um, edited final draft. It's probably typically about four years because it, it, on, the fr- on the front end, I spent a lot of time, a lot of time thinking about ideas and working on a book proposal. That sometimes can take up to six months, but all that information, of course, is stuff I can use when I eventually get to working on the project. And then there's another probably about, uh, maybe two and a half years of, of solid research. But, but 
before that research phase ends, I've, I've typically already begun writing. I begin writing the things that I could write. So there's some overlap, but let's, let, let's say three to four years typically. How did you get into uh, writing these kinds of nonfiction when you were trained as a journalist? At, I believe you went to Columbia. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, I, it, well, it, it's actually even more complicated than that. I mean, I, I became a journalist because I wanted to write. I wanted to make my living as a writer. My intention um, early on when I started my journalism career was I wanted to write I wanted to write novels um, uh, on the side. I'm pretty disciplined. I'm able to get up quite early and devote a few hours each day to things like that. Um, I wanted to write actually a literate detective story. Uh, so, so, um, but I also wanted to make a living doing what I do. So, but journalism uh, was great. I loved it. I got actually really into it and sort of distracted me from my, from my novelistic career, probably a good thing for, for readers everywhere. But over time, as, as my journalism career evolved, as I became, I wrote longer and longer things, I suddenly realized one day that the amount of effort that I was putting into a really long um, news or magazine story, you know, after I started at the Bucks County of Courier Times in Levittown, Pennsylvania, moved on to the Wall Street Journal where I wrote longer and longer and better things, left the journal and started doing long magazine articles. And it was those that I realized, you know, I'm putting so much effort into those that why not just write a book? So that's when I sort of, I sagged into my very first book, which was called The Naked Consumer uh, on a contemporary subject, which was about, you know, how companies were spying on individual consumers. It'd be a good book to redo now, but I'm not gonna. Unfortunately, that book, uh, when that book came out, nobody read it, nobody bought it, just sank like a stone, but I had gotten the bug and so I continued to, to, to do books. Um, some did uh, Bernstein or the thing that brought Nixon on Watergate, did that enter into it? Well, see, that's what got me into journalism. You know, that's what made me realize, okay, okay, this is what, uh, this, is what uh, this is what I'll do to make money. I mean, other things that I had thought about doing that might feed a, a novelistic um, uh, or at least literary career. I thought about becoming a New York City cop. I thought about becoming a lawyer, um, you know, working for a DA's office. Um, my first job out of college was with a publisher. And in that year, I watched the film All the Presidents Met. And after seeing that film, I was totally galvanized. I was like, this is what I want to do. And so um, I, I put my life uh, uh, in, in the hands of fate and I applied to one journalism school. And that was Columbia. And I got in, uh, for better or worse, and uh, proceeded from there. Well, you went, you went to uh, Penn as an undergraduate. Yes. And you were summa cum laude, so you were smart. <laughs> Uh, what books did you write that you most enjoyed? I think I know the answer to this. I think it's uh, In the Garden of the, of the Beast. That's my guess. Well, I, I have to tell you that, that, that you know, my, my, uh, I, I, feel, I feel about my books the way I feel about my children, you know, that uh, I love them all equally. So, so I'm not going to say I like one uh, anymore. Um, any more than the other. They're all so distinct in terms of the challenges that they posed and the writing opportunities. In the Garden of Beasts um, um, uh, was, was for me, I would say particularly satisfying is the wrong word because actually ultimately the, 
ultimately the, the, the research, the writing of that book left me sort of feeling with a, having a sort of a low grade depression because, because how, how awful all those people were and how we all, we all mean the West, um, you know, America, you know, anybody, you know, all the onlookers, how we all let it happen. You know, well, I, I should explain to listeners that this was about the American ambassador to Germany in 1933 when Hitler first came to power. And I've read the book and I thought that he was very similar in personality to a, a Victorian academic, perhaps like Wilson. Yes. And he seemed to be very accepting of what was going on in Germany. He was in the middle of Berlin in the Garden of the Beasts. Which was Hitler? Yes, he was. He was very accepting, and, and you know, um, uh, yeah, yes, it's about America's first ambassador to Nazi Germany. But what re really drew me to that story was his daughter. Um, when I, you know, what I, what I set out to do was to try to get a sense of what would it have been like if I had been living in Nazi Germany in 1933-34 during Hitler's rise. How would I? or I as like a typical onlooker, how would I have perceived it? Would I have been you know, horrified? Would I have been thrilled? Would it have been just the most ho-hum thing if I'd been there in Berlin? And so I, I set out trying to find characters who, through whose eyes I could look at that period, we could look at that period. I went through a number of characters until I settled on Dodd. And the only reason I settled on Dodd was because of his daughter. Um, Dodd alone, as an ambassador, I, I find diplomatic histories can be very tedious. Yes. But um, when you throw in a daughter like Martha Dodd, it was great. Very, very interesting, very exciting. And, and they were the perfect foil, if I may say, for looking at the rise of, of Hitler in 33, 34, because you know, Dodd, as you say, he 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 approached it with a very, very from a very objective view, sort of sort of the the, the objective view that journalists always try to maintain. Um, for example, even now, where objectivity, frankly, may not be the thing that is 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 best for us all. But he took a very objective view of things, and his daughter, on the other hand was really in love with Nazism, at least initially. She loved the enthusiasm. She was sleeping with the first chief of the Gestapo, the first chief of the Gestapo, Rudolf Diels. Um, and um, the, the, the two perspectives were exactly the kind of thing I was trying to get at. And what the real miracle of those two, two characters, and I say characters because they were, of course, real flesh and blood people, but it's just the best way to describe the subjects of a, of a book. But the, the really amazing thing from my perspective as a writer of nonfiction is that both um, actually had clear narrative arcs in which they were transformed by the events at hand. The events at hand, the main seminal event in the book being the Night of the Long Knives, when Hitler purged his longtime ally, Ernst Röhm, and, and consolidated his hold over, over the country. I liked, the, I liked the, 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 even though I did feel so, sort of in the end kind of, kind of depressed about the whole thing, I liked the, the slowly gathering darkness. It was, like a, it was like a Gothic horror story really at root. So yeah, that's, so that's how that came about and that's how, that's how I, I got it started. Uh, let me ask you about, you're, you're, you are out here in the Hamptons is that where you spent the pandemic? At the moment, I'm in the city, but but yes, we have a presence in in the Hampton, Southampton. What uh, what drew you to uh, our neck of the woods here? 
Oh boy, you know, it's, it's a, a relatively easy answer. My sister um, has been a, 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 has had a place in Southampton for over 30 years. And um, uh, so we, we knew it pretty well from Thanksgivings and visits and so forth. And, and so one day, um, this is the kind of thing that, you know, should always, should always learn, live and learn. My wife and I was in February of all things. We were one on the weekend off. And so we came out to Southampton to stay at a stay at an inn. And, uh, you know, before we did that, we said, you know, why don't we just take a look at some some houses, just see what the <laughs> see what the real estate landscape is like. Entertainment. First, the first house we saw, we thought, you know, we could do this. And so we made an offer that got turned down because some, another offer had come through. But then that offer fell through and we got the house for better or worse. So now we live around the corner from my sister. So that's that's what really what kind of drew us to our neighborhood. What do you like to do when you're out here besides write in the morning? I, 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 I write. I like to sit out back on the deck with a cup of coffee. Um, uh, love to watch the birds at the bird feeder, the hummingbirds when we have them. Um, and, but I also, I especially love going to the going to the beach. Um, I'll, I'll drive down typically to Dune Beach. That's my favorite beach. And just which one? Dune Beach, way at the end there. Um, okay. uh, Villa Village Beach. Before you get to the town beach at the uh, at the uh, uh, West End. Oh, I see. And what are you working on right now? I am working on my next book, uh, my next nonfiction book. I've, I've uh, uh, committed to it. Um, signed on, uh, signed a deal, um, but I'm not going to talk about it. I never talk about books at this point <laughs> days because I can't afford to have somebody look at me and say, "What you're doing that?" Um, but more, more excitingly though, is I have this uh, audio-only ghost story, my first foray into fiction, which is coming out um, on uh, September 28th, um, and it's uh, it's a it's, it's fiction, it's a ghost story, but it's based on all kinds of real life nonfiction weird things that I discovered in the course of my research for my book, Thunderstruck. And I just, I just felt that I had to get these things into something. And why not write a, a ghost story of the kind that I really like for, for, for some Halloween? Now, it took a lot longer than I thought. It's been 10 years in the making uh, or more, um, but now it's coming to fruition mainly because the, this new thing in publishing, the audio original. So why, do it, why do it only on audio? Why not make a book? You know, I, because a couple of reasons. I'm a nonfiction writer. You know, this is my thing. And, you know, people sometimes get confused enough about my books, you know, thinking, oh, that's got to be fiction, you know, or, or people will often call them novels. Although I think that's partly because a lot of people don't really realize that a novel is purely, purely fiction. But frankly, I didn't want to blur my brand, if you will. I didn't want people reading reading and seeing a book of fiction of mine next to my nonfiction books and think, wait, what, what's going on? And so audio original was the ideal way to, to, to you know, flex these muscles and have some fun um, uh, and, and not have it become sort of this, this weird, uh, this weird artifact on the, on the shelf next to all my other nonfiction books. It's per, it was a perfect resolution to, to, to that, that concern that I had. Do you uh, isolate yourself in the house or outside when you write? That's what a lot of Bob Carroll has his own little shed. By the yeah, way. actually, I've seen I've seen a photograph of his own little shed. I I, I don't have a shed. Um, uh, um, in, when I'm out in Southampton, I work actually from our 
our, our principal bedroom, um, uh, which works very well uh, up on the second floor. It's very easily, I easily sequester myself there. And I do typically write from, from the early morning till around noon or, 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 or so. Um, when I'm in New York, I write in my, my I have an office, um, a dedicated office, um, and that's where, I, that's where I'll hold up. I want to thank you for all the, all the books that you've done. Thank uh, you. I enjoyed it. Isaac Storm, uh, it, it seems to be worse than any we have had, except maybe Sandy. Yeah, well, with, with climate change, just wait for it. And it just kind of destroyed the city. And it had been, a, as I recall reading it, it had been the rival to uh, Houston, I think, as the port. Yes. Galveston had been rivaled to Houston. This this big storm essentially eclipsed Galveston as any kind of rival. Yeah, that's what happened. So thank you for coming and spending a little time on the podcast. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Thank you. I've been familiar with Dan's papers ever since uh, uh, you know my sister bought her place. I think. How long ago was that? Yeah, that was probably thirty years. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. It does. Thanks for coming. This is Eric Larson and. Uh, We'll be posting this, uh, I guess, sometime around the uh, right around the uh, movie movie uh, weekend. Okay, so we'll see you there. All right, thanks. Okay, bye bye. Thank you, Dan. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Just came off. Bye.